Okay, so this week we are, um, we're going to change it up. Those of you with books, go ahead and just put them away because they ain't going to help you. Um, I, I, I struggled with it all early this week as I was reading and planning for this week's lesson. And session two goes right to chapter six. And it's like there's chapters two through five that they were skipping, which in reality is more of the same that we saw in chapter one. But there's some important lessons, I thought, that were there that, that were worth sidetracking to pick up instead of just jumping over them and getting right to chapter six. So you're going to do your own thing. So I'm doing my own thing. So we're, this is session 1.5. <laughs> All right, so we're in session 1.5. We're going to be in Isaiah's chapter 2 uh, and chapter 5. We're going to pick up with those. And um, if it's not as uh, straightforward as other lessons are, it's because I had to make this up. And, and they're not really, the points aren't succinct in and of themselves, uh, but there is a point, and we will get to it uh, with it. So we're going to be in Isaiah's uh, chapter 2 and chapters 5 as we do session uh, 1.5. It isn't called God Sense. It's just the preamble to it. I, don't, I didn't have a better answer for that, so <laughs> we'll just leave that and go on. So without further ado, let's just uh, jump into this and we'll uh, talk about it as we get through it. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. Somebody go ahead and read those for us. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow upon it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And thank you. This is kind of sort of a famous passage. <laughs> kind of sort of. It's not usually... It, well, it, it is. The ideas in this passage, and we'll, we'll see that in a minute, are often quoted. Right. The idea that, that swords are going to be eliminated and peace is going to come and all that. But what we, what, we had, what we do is we forget the rest of the passage and we don't look at that in terms of that. As we look at this, look at verse 2 um, in this. Uh, at some point, the temple, it says, will be lifted up. It shall come to pass in later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, we're talking about the temple, which is on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, is going to be lifted up and all that. When you consider that passage, what do you think Isaiah is referring to? The reason I'm, 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 hide, I'm hanging here is because this goes along with everything Chris is doing in Revelation, too. Well, I was always taught, like I'm sure in the millennium, 
Okay. I think of it as like the New Jerusalem mm-hmm. when Jesus comes again. Yeah. Okay. Gentiles are going to be coming to it. Okay, that's those are the answers I expect. <laughs> those are the no, they, they're they're the they're the evangelic standard evangelical answers. But I want to look at this from uh, a different angle that I think is probably more accurate. Just as Chris has been looking at different angles from Revelation than the. Standard, you know, what you got in Sunday school. Um, John chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Go ahead and flip there. And let's look at that. You got to go all the way to the New Testament. Because I think there's connections here. Because Jesus doesn't do anything that isn't purposeful. And these are connected. John 3, right? John 3. Right before John 3.16, which we all know and, and cherish, these are the, the preceding verses. John 3.13-15, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And, Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man may be, uh, Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. We also know that Jesus tells the Pharisees that he will destroy the temple and in three days rebuild it. And we know from his own words that what he meant was what? His body. body. Is this passage that Isaiah is writing here, the word of the, the, yeah, skip that. Verse two, it shall come to pass in the latter days, remember this is, like 600 years before Jesus, in the latter days, uh, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Who's the highest? Jesus. Jesus. He's high and lifted up, right? It's all part and parcel to this. Is this referring, it's the temple, but we know that the temple is an image of what's in heaven. And that when we talk about Mount Zion and all that, we're referring to him. Jesus himself links himself to the temple, doesn't he? In the New Testament, he tells us that the temple's going to be destroyed. He's talking about himself. I mean, he makes this connection. Are we, is this a reference? Are we looking, I mean, this is almost, the language isn't exact, but the very idea of this passage is the exact idea that Jesus communicates in John, as he begins talking about himself, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And then we see here, and all the nations shall flow to it and, may, and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain and when has all the world looked to Zion and said, let's go to the temple so that we can learn about the Lord? Has that ever happened? No. Where do, where, where do, we, where do we go? Where do we do this? How does that work? Where do we turn? To, church. to, Jesus. to the church, which he's the head of the church, right? Yeah. 
We look to the we look to the church, we look to the scriptures. We don't look to the temple anymore. Temple's gone since 70 AD. It hasn't been reestablished. We're not looking there. But all the nations are looking to Christ. He's the source of wisdom, knowledge, understanding of God. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. So are we looking at a very physical object, the, the temple that we're looking to it to be reestablished, rebuilt? Re, I don't know. Um, verse 3, we come to Christ to learn of God. Salvation. That, that's how we learn of God. We can't know God until we're saved. Understanding him. The fact that Jesus said to wait in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he told the disciples, wait until... What? The Holy Spirit came so that they would have power, knowledge, and understanding, right? And from there, they were supposed to minister where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem Samaria. Samaria. To the ends of the world. Yeah, the, the whole, you know, we're supposed to go out. So go out from there to tell everybody. And so everybody's looking, going, the knowledge of the Lord comes from where? Jerusalem. Hmm. See, there's a lot of things that you start looking at the ideas and, and look past. See, this is, this is a prophetic book, and there's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of ideas. Isaiah had no idea how this was going to be fulfilled. So he doesn't know that, he's, that, that Jesus is coming. He knows that there will be a Messiah at some point in time. But he doesn't have all that we have. But when we start looking backwards we should be able to start seeing where some of this stuff connects because the New Testament is commentary to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a lot of history and all that, but it's explained. This is why Paul borrows from a lot of this stuff and begins explaining it. As we look at verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their, and, the, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. And they won't. We, we, see, we often see this passage being misused by pacifists, don't we? Peace will come to the nations, but only under what? Under the authority of the Lord. Who's ruling? Who does Isaiah say is ruling? Well, we know it's going to be Jesus. He didn't know that, but God, God is going to be in charge. He's going to take up rulership. We often, we often mistake this. All right, so let's put this in some perspective. This is still part of uh, our outline, uh, point one, rebuke and promises from the Lord. So this is, this is part of it. This is part of the promise that's coming. This is looking to a promise. And we are promised that peace will come. That's what he's talking about here. And we, evangelicals love to grab these verses and talk about, you know, that peace is going to come, that we're going to, you know, we won't need to raise swords and that we need to just love everybody. That time period is coming but it's only going to come when the earth has submitted to God. I mean, Isaiah makes that clear that the people are going to do nothing but concern themselves with knowing God, 
trusting Him, and Him ruling over us, then we get this whole passage. Worldwide desire for knowledge of God. That's a requirement. We cannot have peace until there is worldwide desire for God. Is the world ready to accept Him? I mean, we're not just talking about the United States. We're, we're talking about... Uh, uh, the whole world, the Islamic world, the Hindu world, the um, atheist world of Europe, all the crazy stuff that's uh, South American and or African, um, even the uh, communist world. Are they ready to embrace God and his knowledge? The second thing you've got to have is obedience to the law. And I'm not talking about the, all the sacrifices and all that. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus explained that to us, didn't he? What's the basic tenets of the law? How did he explain it? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And? Love the Lord your God. Yeah, those are the, when those two things are what drives us as people, we're going to have peace, aren't we? It's impossible to have war, crime, all that stuff if I'm loving my neighbor like I love myself. Isn't it? What stems from, what, what draws those things out? War and all that. Selfishness, anger, envy, pride. Yeah, wow. You guys are right on it this morning. Awesome. You all get gold stars, except for you, Ken. You asked. <laughs> when these two things are, are in play, when the world is desiring knowledge of God and we are sitting at his feet going, teach us, Lord, and we're obeying it, not just seeking it out, but we're also obeying it, we're putting it into practical play, then God will be ruling and there will be peace on earth. See, I told you there was a really good lesson. As we look at chapter 2, this is what we see. This is what we're, we're wanting. And you know what's funny? As I said when we started to read it, the whole world talks about it, right? This is something that is in the makeup of man. We all want it. We, we feel it. We desire this kind of peace. To the point that uh, there's a famous song written by a very famous artist. You guys sing it? No, I'm not. Um, John Lennon and Yoko Ono wrote the song Imagine. And this song resonates with people all over the world. They, they eat it up. It doesn't matter that, I don't know, this was produced in what, 1971? What are we, 40, no, almost 50 years ago. And the world still loves this song. Look at the words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You, you may say, 
I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world you. What's that sound like? What's going on today? <laughs> Sounds like socialism. Sounds like socialism. Hold that thought a second, huh? It's not possible. Well, no, it's not possible, but what does it sound like? by throwing off the shackles of God, but the only way to get it is under God. Yeah, it sounds just like what Isaiah is telling the Jews is going to happen without all the parts that are required to make it happen. The world wants this kind of peace. And as for socialism, God's system is that. Socialism works, except when it's run by man. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why does socialism not work under humanism? We're not perfect. We're not perfect. Because of sin, okay? But what is it missing? It's missing God. Okay, it's missing God, but in what way? Fair How? Judgment. Huh? Fair judgment. There you go. That, that's it. Only God can run a socialistic system because he's perfectly fair. Because he doesn't need anything from us. The reason socialism fails is because the guy at the top needs everybody to support him underneath. He can't offer them anything, so he ends up becoming the big man, the El Jefe. He takes and gives nothing. But when God finally does this, and he gives everything because he needs nothing from us, the system works because he's the one making the decisions. See how that works? It's not that the, it's a bad idea because it'll bring peace. We all work together for the common good. It's possible. Just look at Star Trek. <laughs> the philosophy of Star Trek is, this, is John Lennon's Imagine. There's no money. Everybody works together. They build these huge spaceships. The whole idea of Starfleet is everybody's equal. We all go out and do it. We all work together. Nobody needs anything. Everything's provided for and all that. Uh, but as we can always see, there's always somebody who wants more. Right, exactly. There's always, there's always somebody out there that wants everything. But, Im- but here's my imagine. Imagine God who doesn't need to take anything. We don't need to bring anything to him. We don't need to bring taxes to him so that he can subsist. And the reality is, is that he's providing it. Oh, crops aren't growing well. Okay, I'll take care of that. And he just fixes it. Go ahead. The other side of it is that you don't have equal effort by everybody. No. Unless you have a God that will also punish mm-hmm. that happens. Right. So he's judging. He's the judge, but he's a perfect judge. He gets nothing out of it. He's not elected. He's not paid. He can read the hearts and minds of people. See, the system works, but only when he's in control of it. So Joe Biden can't make it work? No, no, he can't. No man can. Politics isn't going to fix the problem. I mean, that's what Lenin thought. No countries, no government, no religions. um, No, submission to God. I don't know what he wanted submission to. I guess he wanted submission to 
socialism in and of itself. I mean, that that was the idea. The, the system, but that's not who you submit to. We, we submit to a benevolent, loving God who does take care of us, who does tell us that he cares more about us than any, that he knows the numbers of our... I mean, you look at all the ways we describe him um, through the Old Testament and Psalms particularly. Uh, he cares. And that peace comes from submitting to him because then he makes it all equal. He's the great equalizer. Not law. Not just waving a magic hand and going, you're all equal now. And taking money from one person and giving it to another and, and, and all that. that. That doesn't work. But when we submit, we know that God punishes, but he also uh, rewards those who do and stuff. And it's equitable to the individuals. It's a time that's coming. It's a time that we as humans, long for. Because you know what? That was the garden. If we go back to the garden, work was not hard. If you remember in Genesis, Abraham, or Abraham, Adam is kicked out of the garden and his punishment was that the ground was cursed and that his work would not be worth as much as it should be. Uh, the garden was easy. It was easy work. It was... I got as much as I put in, I got out. But now we're not. I mean, we're living in a cursed world. And it's not simple. And we long for it. I mean, if John Lennon teaches us anything, is that man wants that. The problem is, is that man doesn't want to submit. We still have that wild streak where we don't want anybody any, uh, controlling us, including God. All right, any last comments or questions before we move on? See, I, I just couldn't skip this lesson. It's too pertinent to our day. <laughs> Anytime you can slip in sci-fi is a good, it's a good lesson. All right, let's move on. We're going to jump to chapter five. Um, the next two chapters, two and three, uh, or three and four rather, uh, he's dealing more with what's going to, you know, the cursing and all that. It's going to be summarized here in chapter 5. So we're just going to jump to chapter 5. Somebody read for us in uh, 1 to 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. Through seven. Oh, well, wait, seven. I will make it a waste, it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain, upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Okay. God expects people 
to embrace his ways. Chapter 2, we just saw, we want peace. How does it come? Well, submission to God. Desire for knowledge and obedience to the law. We come to chapter 5. What's going on? Yeah. A choice vineyard. Wild grapes. Anybody know what wild, when, when it talks about wild grapes, what, what does that mean? Sour. Sour, yeah. The wild grapes, they're, they're, they're not cultured. They're, they're very bitter. They're nasty. You wouldn't do anything with them. You wouldn't eat them. You certainly wouldn't press them into wine. It would, I mean, the wine would be beyond vinegar. <laughs> uh, because the grapes themselves are sour. So as we look at this parable, and really this is a parable, and we're going to pair it with another one in a minute. As Isaiah is laying this out, the vineyard is who? Israel. The nation of Israel. Not just the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, the whole people. That's what he's talking about. Who's the, what do you call a guy? Vin, a vin, uh, the yeah. vine tender. <laughs> vine dresser, that's the word I'm looking for. Who's the vine dresser? God. God. So this is his vineyard. He's gotten the best plants. So they're. They're, they're premium quality plants. These are, our, you know, the genetically perfect, wherever, whatever you want to call them. This is, he's gone and picked the, the what do they call it, a veritable? A type of grape? Veritable. Ver- All right. He's, he's chosen the ones that he wants to grow in this vineyard. They're not just happenstance. They're not just there. He's gotten great ground. He's done everything that he should do. Built the wall. He's built a tower to make sure that somebody can watch over it. Uh, you know, the, he's got everything there, and he tends it now. Great vineyards—they don't grow in a year, do they? Yeah, it, 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 I, I don't know what it is, but I'm willing to bet it's probably five to ten years before you really, huh? Yeah, before you really start getting the the grapes, <laughs> the amount of grapes that you would be ready to squish into wine. And uh, let's face it, Isaiah's writing 400 years after David, which David wrote, David lived uh, like 600 years after they entered the land, something like that, nearly a thousand years. So they've been in the land, they've been living in the land, working the land and all that, and God expected them to embrace his ways. And we know that the time of Judges, did they, expand, did they follow God's ways? No. David shows up. Did they, they followed David, but then there were these, the kings that followed him. Did they follow God's ways? No. There were kings on and off that the people kind of turned their, but they didn't, they didn't embrace it. It didn't become who the people were, did it? He wanted us to be like him. Now this goes all the way back to the garden. If we go all the way back to Genesis, God created man in his image. What is the expectation? To act like him, to be like God. Let's face it. If you've got children, you kind of expect them to be similar to you, right? 
What happens when they turn away and they run down a path that you're like, oh my word, no, don't go that way. And they don't turn out. They become disappointment. And if they exceed your hopes and ambitions for them, yeah, pride and joy. Wow. We understand this in terms of our children, but what about God? I mean, he calls us his children. Wow. And what happens? Um, when we look at this in terms of that, we are expected to not just obey. We, we, we all know children. Maybe you had one or two that does everything you tell them to do and then they move and out of how out of home and they go their own way they totally throw away everything you ever taught them um and go off and do their own thing right they had obedience we see it a lot with uh kids who go off to college we blame the college you know we blame the world it's the world's fault college entice them away and all that. Okay, but we have to remember there's no difference between obedience and embracing. What's the difference? Embracing is from the heart. Yeah, embracing is from the heart and obedience is just the outward sign. I bring this up because Israel, Judah, is doing exactly what God told him to do. Right? Remember chapter 1? What was his complaint? I'm tired of your sacrifices. I'm tired of your obedience of the outward signs, right? His complaint is about the fact that they have not embraced his law. See? See the, see the difference? It's subtle. We often only look at the outside and we look at the obedience and, yep, they're a great person. They do the right thing. He was a good neighbor. He was a good neighbor, Yeah. He does all the right things, but boy, he harbored hatred, uh, envy, greed in his heart. It's funny. The word embrace means to take or receive gladly or eagerly, accept willingly. That's the definition for um, embrace. Whereas obey. To comply with or follow the commands, restrictions, wishes, or instructions. See the difference? We're told often about Saul. I read it, we read it last week. He was supposed to obey God and uh, he didn't do it. That wasn't in his heart. He was gathering those sheep and the king and all that for his own pleasures right he went down and destroyed he did as he was supposed to do but he didn't actually really do it because he had not embraced i mean if there's any definition for saul king saul was he never embraced god's control over israel he thought he was the man i'm in control you know when we embrace the idea that god's in control it brings with it what trait Humility. Yeah, humility. We have to submit. Now, we got to look at Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 16. It's a very similar parable to this one. 
And Jesus is telling it, and I got to wonder if he didn't have this in mind when he told this parable. Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 16. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted, planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And then they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. These two parables are really, really similar, aren't they? I have a very similar point to the same people, essentially. Except that the one that Jesus tells, who's he telling it to? The Pharisees, the leaders of the people. And it's referring to the people. Whereas the people and the other one were the ones that were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. But these people are being led astray. They're being used by those leaders. It's all the same thing, though. The people were bitter grapes. These were poor tenants. You kind of kind of wonder, it's, it's, the same, it's the same issue again. We're in charge, right? That's what the tenant said. This is our vineyard. We worked it. We own it. Not the owner. The grapes were bitter because, well, they didn't do what they were supposed to do in the ground. They just were nasty grapes. Both leads to destruction by the owner of the vineyards. Hmm. See, free will is so we can choose him. That's the only choice we really have. As we look at these, these two parables, there, there's a free choice involved here. The tenants could have done what they were supposed to do. Uh, the grapes, they didn't, they, they didn't grow. All the, everything was there. Everything was perfect for them to be great grapes, but they didn't. They didn't grow as planted because we have free will. It's what separates us from the animals. I mean, let's face it. I, I've been fighting with the squirrels. <laughs> the squirrels. Yes, the squirrels are winning, but they don't have a free choice. I mean, a squirrel does what a squirrel does. He gathers nuts, buries them anywhere he can find, forgets about them, makes a mess because he's doing what a squirrel does. And uh, no amount of me shooting him or training, trying to train him has stopped him from being a squirrel. What about you and me, though? Can we learn to be different? Can we make different choices? The world wants us to say that we're just pre-programmed robots, right? Isn't that what they're teaching? Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys as they rape women. I have sex with whoever I want, male, female, because I'm wired that way. Really? Isn't it a matter of choice? 
See, right, wrong, morality, and all that is set by a higher power. Well, it's supposed to be that God's in charge, right? I mean, if there's a God and he's in charge and he says, this is wrong, and he gives us the ability to make a choice, then it must be wrong if we make the wrong choice, right? See, we're not pre-programmed. We're not made that we can only, we're not like the squirrel that I have to gather nuts. I can gather beef instead. <laughs> I mean, squirrels can't change what they like. They're, they're hardwired that way. They have no free will. Whereas as humans, we have the free will. We may have an attraction to a certain thing. But if God has said that that thing is off limits, the tree of the knowledge of fruit of good and evil. Adam and Eve wanted to, wanted to do it. I mean, the, the snake didn't push that hard, did he? I mean, the conversation there, it didn't take much to get Eve to go over and pluck one off and take a bite. And it, it took Adam even less pushing. I mean, she just offered it to him. Hey, here, try this. I mean, yeah, he's like, yeah, sure, man, give me that. But he had the choice, didn't he? He could have dropped it. He could have walked away from her. I mean, there, there's so many other things. He could have ran and tattled it. God, God, she's eating it. I mean, come on. That's what, let's face it. Anybody who's got like a three-year-old with a two-year-old, that's what they do. Mom, mom, she's eating the cupcakes that you said not to eat. Unless you're me and my brother. And then it's like, no, don't you tell mom. Eat one too. <laughs> That would never happen, No, 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 never, right? Every day, right? We have choices. We have free will. The problem is, is God expects us to not just obey, but to embrace his ways, and we don't. And we lead people along with us, just as we see in the other parable. Uh, the tenants are leading the people or leading the, the, you know, their job is to lead them and they're not doing a good job of it. We tend to lead people astray. Isaiah is going to expand this whole thing here as we move on. But before we do, it, it, comments or questions as we look at this. See, this is all goes together. And this is, I mean, you realize this is the opening chapters. We still haven't gotten to chapter six yet where Isaiah explains who he is and his calling. This is a pretty harsh message. No? I have a question. Go ahead. I mean, I don't know the book well at all, obviously, but uh, later on, will there be said a, a judgment for the people who lead the people wrong? There is, well, this is judgment. Isaiah is going to pronounce judgment. Um, let's see. I know on the nations and everything, but I'm right. wondering about the people who lead them wrong. No, we don't, really see, we don't really see that until Jesus comes, okay. where he deals harshly with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all of them. Okay. Really, he doesn't, at this point, particularly with the Old Testament, he's dealing with the entire nation. When Jesus shows up and he begins, and I, I think that's one of the big differences between Jesus and prophets. He knows what the people sitting there are thinking. It's, it tells us often in Scripture that Jesus knew they weren't talking out loud, but he knew in their hearts what they thought and believed. 
And he, I mean, he just hammers them with it uh, in his return. Like when they let the guy down from the roof to be healed and he says that their sins are forgiven and they're all sitting there thinking, who is this guy that thinks he can forgive sins? Only God can do that. And he knows that. And he says, well, which is easier? You gotta be wondering, the guy's sitting there going, what? I, I only just thought it. I mean, they're not, they're not saying anything to him. It's clear from the passage that it, he knew their minds. And he's like, is it easier to say, just take up your bed and walk? I mean, this is a known paraplegic. The guy can't walk. Everybody knows he can't walk. And Jesus just, boom, and the guy picks up his bed and walks out. And everybody's sitting there going. <laughs> yeah, to prove that he had the ability to forgive sin. That's where we see that. That's where this comes down and becomes personal. See, as we look at the Old Testament, God dealt with an entire people group. It was a national thing. The laws were for national consumption of it, but it didn't work. And God knew it wouldn't work, but it produced him, produced Jesus, who would make it so that they wrote the, heart, the, uh, wrote the laws on the hearts of men, that it would become personal. It was not, it's not a national religion anymore. We're not looking to the nation to lead us in our Christianity, or, well, we're not supposed to. It's us. That's why Chris says, hey, if you've got an idea for a ministry, great, let's talk about it, and you go and do it. It's not about me doing it. It's not about Chris doing it. It's not about the church doing it. Each of us is called to something. God has something for us to do, and it becomes very individualistic in terms of that, in our doing, because we're to be involved with it. Whereas in the Old Testament... The only one who's really ministered were the priests, uh, were the Levites as they would clean up and maintain the temple. But there wasn't anything for the individual to do with God. It was very much a large universal. Now we all have personal responsibility to go and do. That's why he told us to go in Matthew 28. Other comments? Thank you. You're welcome. No problem. Love questions. Okay, how are we on time? All right, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Wait. What? Oh, yeah, okay, no, never mind. Yeah, I'm good. Go ahead, somebody read that. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, Surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. The word woe. It's a significant word. <laughs> and Isaiah is pronouncing woe upon the nation. Woe to those who join house to house. This is where that punishment is coming from. These are the issues, if you will, that God has with the people. What makes them sour grapes? There are six woes that are bitter grapes here that Isaiah is going to give us. So we're going to look at six of them. This first one, joining house to house, room to room, and all the fields and all that. What, what is he referring to? 
What's the sin here? Kind of uniting with those that aren't called of the Israelites. Good guess, but no. <laughs> I'll make it easy. Greed. Greed. There we go. Yeah, it's greed. These people are buying up other people's properties. Get all I can with no regard for others. What was the law God gave them? After 50 years of the year of Jubilee, everything went back to the original. Yes, that was it. So that generational poverty would not happen. You were supposed to get the property back. Even if your parents gambled it away, you would gain it back in the year of Jubilee so that you could try and do better. See, again, we start looking at this whole peace thing. And if we follow God and we do what God wants, God's got a plan. He knows that there are people who are going to make bad choices. But it doesn't mean that every generation will make the same choice. Maybe multiples will. But he offers the free will, the option for the generation to try. Maybe they succeed. Maybe they won't. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So greed. The people in Israel were they were greedy. They were buying up widows and orphans' properties because they didn't have anything and they didn't have well, let's face it, in that day you needed a man to go to basically court because nobody was listening to women and they were just sucking them up. Oh, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. I've got you covered. And he'd go and get documents signed, and now it's his land. And they'd buy your neighbors and all that, and they would just accumulate huge, and they wouldn't give it back. In the year of Jubilee, uh, they wouldn't give it back like they were supposed to. It was theirs. The property was divided up by Joshua according to what God wanted and given out, and that's the way it's going to be. That land belonged to those tribes, to those families in perpetuity, because that's what God said. And they started buying it up. So it was greed with no regard for others. Next, uh, chapter 5, verses 11 through 17. Bless you. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night, for they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at the banquets, tambourines and flutes and wine. But they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Their men of rank will die of hunger, and their masses will be parched with thirst. Therefore, the grave enlarges its appetite and opens its mouth for ten minutes, and it will descend their nobles and masses with all their brawlers and revelers. So man will be brought low, and mankind humbled. The eyes of the arrogant humbled. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, and the Holy God will show himself holy by his righteousness. 
Then sheep will graze as in their own pasture. Lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. All right. What's the sin here? Our own self, like in entertainment. Very good. I'm going to call it ignorance. Ignorance. Don't know God, don't want to. I don't care. God's irrelevant. This very much is the, uh, the, the sin that we see with um, the deists. Oh, there's a God. He's out there somewhere. He doesn't really care. I don't care about him. He doesn't care about me. We came to an agreement. Really? I think God cares very much about us. We don't care about him because we don't want to be bothered with his rules, laws, uh, usually because it, it, we mix it with greed. So you become ignorant of God and just sit around, do what I want to do, whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it. No regard for God. Ignorance. This is the, like, these are six woes. These are serious. And I, I can't underline that enough. Isaiah is responding to the nation in, for God of what was going on in their day. They entertained themselves with pointless amusements, drinking, music. They didn't have TV, but they, they're plugged into that. That's all they're interested in. They spend their days talking about soap operas <laughs> or whatever the reality shows. That's what they're doing. They're ignoring God. God, God doesn't care, and I don't care about him. This is more important. Who gets kicked off the island next? I mean, come on. We all know people like this at work, right? That's all they talk about. Did you see? The episode shows once a week. And they spend an entire week talking about it. Usually about the second day, you're like, dude, already, I don't care. Right? But that's it's all, their, all their text messages and emails and Facebooks. and It's all about this nonsense that isn't even real. Football. Sports are no different. They, they eat, drink, and live the sport. And when it isn't there, man, they're, they're still talking about it. Yeah. But it's because of ignorance. Ignorance is an issue, particularly when we're ignorant of God. All right, chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cartloads, who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come that we may know it. This is the strangest one, I think. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of false hope who draws sin with cart ropes. What is this? Lying. Huh? Lying? Lying? Good guess. No. It's, it's very close. They're like cousins. Deceit? You're still a cousin. Demanding. No, no. Looking for... Iniquity. All right, you're looking for iniquity, but not quite. Sins that you have that you refuse to give up even though you know you're sinning. All right, that's probably the closest one. 
It's denial. Denial that there's no judgment. God isn't going to judge. He's okay with what I'm doing. Again, you look at these, men; They all kind of go together, don't they? They're individual sins, but we usually don't suffer from one of them. We deny there's no judgment. We act as if God doesn't care. And it's probably because we're ignorant. We, we don't really know it, but we choose not to believe it because there are a lot of people, there are a lot of Christians. You'd be amazed at how many pastors who spend their, their days studying the word of God and yet still run off with their secretaries or embezzled of money. It's not that they don't know. They're just in denial. God will understand me doing this. They're in denial. It's how I am. No, no. But there's, there's a, uh, this idea that, you know, God's really not going to just, we live like it. You look at a lot of the evangelical church today. They fear death. Why? Why should we fear death? God, God's waiting for us with open arms. If you're really a Christian, death shouldn't fear us, but we, we, they do. It's because they're in denial. They're doing, they're living a life that is contrary to that which they've been prescribed by God because they've been brought up into this world of materialism and so they're in denial that there will be judgment, that there will be an end and that uh, my stuff here matters and I got to live here for today. I've got to do here because this is all that I'm going to get. That very much has creeped into the church, the whole materialistic lifestyle of the world. And evangelicals are eating it up. We're buying it up. We're, uh, how many of them, they don't have time. I can't come to church. I got to work. Okay, maybe you need to look at changing your job. Is fellowship with the brethren so unimportant? We're told that we're not to forsake it. Well, why are we forsaking it then? Well, because I can get a promotion and get a better job, which I'll have better money. Uh, and then we, we want to rationalize it. So then I can tithe more. I can give more. I can help more. Well, which is it? I mean, that, isn't that exactly what Saul did? King Saul, I brought the best sheep to offer sacrifice to God. And Samuel said, what? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Isn't that exactly what Isaiah just said in chapter 1? Your sacrifices, the fatted lambs, the, the best quality lambs that you're offering, God despises them. He hates them, he says, right? See, there's this, there's this whole mindset that we're to embrace his ways, which requires a mindset, not just an action. He doesn't need more money from us. He doesn't need you to get the promotion to provide more money. If, he need, if we need money, he'll provide it. I mean, that's just the long and short of it. Whether it's from more people or... I, we had, I've, I don't know if I've told this story in class. When I was in Korea, um, my office was on the second floor of the church. And we had a door that was to the outside stairwell. We uh, never knew who was at the door. Um, people would just come and knock during the week to talk to the pastors and, and stuff like that. And uh, one day I'm there, I'm sitting in the little kitchenette that we had right by that door, and there's a knock at the door at lunchtime. I was sitting there with a couple others from the office, 
So I get up, I go over to the door, and there's a young man, probably 19, 20, not that old. And he was in a hurry, and he thrusts into my arms a bucket, like a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket, a similar thing like that. And says, here, this is for the church. If I would have known that you were here, I would have come um, while I was stationed here for this year. But I only just found out about you. I've been saving my tithes and offerings all year. Here they are. I've got to go catch my plane um, to fly back to the States. And he left. I never got the man's name. I have no idea where he was from. I'm standing there in the doorway because he had a taxi waiting at the bottom of the stairs to take him to the bus station to get to the airport with a bucket of money. God doesn't need you to get a promotion to get more money. Crazier things have happened than kid showing up at my door with a bucket of money. It's just crazy. Don't live in denial of God's judgment. Don't live in denial that we have a, a responsibility to embrace his ways. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Do I even need to ask? What's this one? She's everything is good. Everything is good. Well, evil for good. We're living this today, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. This one. It's immoral. They are living immoral life. Right here, Isaiah's day. It is no different than today. We're... We, we've made abortion legal. We're trying to make, um, what, what is it with the children? It's um, the 10 years. Yeah, right. Where they're, where, the, the children are acceptable. Uh, murder is okay. Well, at least if you have enough money. I mean, we, we're, we're overturning everything that has been taboo and saying, well, no, it's okay. We, we've got excuses. But it's immoral. If I say so, it's good. I'm the judge. I'm the authority. I determine what's right and wrong. Who determines what's right and wrong? Yeah, if it isn't an external to ourselves, then it totally changes every moment of every day, doesn't it? There has to be an absolute. I know, we hate that word today. Nowadays. There are no absolutes. There have to be. If, certain, if things are not absolutely wrong, then everything is absolutely right. That's immoral. That's immoral. And they were doing it. And they were doing it in the nation. All right. Um, it's supposed to be 21. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 21. The sin of pride. pride. Very good. I'm the man. I'm in See how these all go together too? We don't usually suffer from just one, do we? <laughs> if I'm prideful, then I'm probably also immoral. And I'm in denial. And I'm probably ignorant. It may not be greed. That's the only one so far that it isn't. 
But yeah, pride. The problem is, is that in the evangelical world, we've accepted pride as an acceptable sin, haven't we? Not being humble. Being exalting yourself. That's acceptable. At least a little bit. What does that lead to? We wonder why so many fall down that are in ministries. Not just pastors and churches, but other ministries. All of a sudden, they've got the big cars and the multiple airplanes and homes and all that. Well, I'm worth it, right? I'm, I'm the gift that God just uses to keep giving to me. All right, off the soapbox. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, 22 through 23. Woe unto them who are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to make strong drink, to justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Okay. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. What are we talking about here? No, not alcoholics, but this is a good guess. That's what most people want to go to. But it's, it's beyond that. We've got to look at the, 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 more, the broader spoke. You enable people? Uh, no, not enabling people. Looking at their own law instead of God's. Or, you know. Okay, that, you're, you're, you're right on the edge. On the edge. You're on the edge. <laughs> no, look, at, look at our list. Greed, ignorance, denial, immorality, pride. Injustice is what they do. They're egotists. I only care about what's in it for me. They take the bribe. They're not, they're, they're not heroes. They're not, they're, it's talking about military mighty men. The people that were the leaders, they sat at the gate and passed judgment over people. That's who those guys are. And they're just sitting around. It's a good old boy mentality. What's in it for us? You bribe me enough, I'll, we'll pass your law. It's that whole social mentality that it's us and we're in charge and we'll do what's good for us, not what's good for the people. And so what was happening, guys would come along and say, look, I want her property. She's a widow. She's got nobody to stand up. Here's 50 bucks. Sign the documents so that I can make it mine and all that. Oh, yeah, we served together in, in Nam or whatever. Yeah, yeah, man, you're a good guy. I remember you, you, you brought us a case of beer around at the, at the thing. Yeah, sure, we'll, we'll give you that. And they signed the documents. It's a good old boy mentality. They're egotistical. It's all about themselves and what they get out of it. You helped me. I helped you. And we're perverting justice. Yeah. That's quite the list. Six woes from God. Greed. Ignorance, denial, immorality, pride, and egotism. Things God hates. Looks like our world today, doesn't it? I couldn't pass these over. Because we're suffering the same things as they were in Isaiah's day then. We've got the same issues today. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun, yeah. That's... Yeah, and that's why, that's why I wanted to do this. All of this is, we're seeing creep into the church today. We're allowing this to filter in. We're not living the way we're supposed to. We're not living the right life. We are not making the choice to embrace his ways. 
Well, the world says it's okay, then it must be okay. It's legal. That's the thing, that, that's the cry today. It's legal. But does that make it right in God's eyes? Just because the government says it's okay doesn't make it right. I have a question kind of in regards to what you're talking about. Uh -huh. um, like these um, people on TV, and I'll just say Joyce Myers for instance is the name. Um, but what surprises me is the Joyce Myers Ministries. And I was just kind of wondering how they put their own name, like certain um, preachers are putting their own names first. And I just wondered, you know, like the Joyce... Is that like, are they putting themselves first or just like... Um... Given that there are so much and so many things out there, putting a name on it, I don't think is necessarily prideful. It's to distinguish themselves. Those who, because there, there are so, there are so many um, and with the amount of information available. In days gone by, it wouldn't have mattered because you didn't know much beyond your own town or maybe the, the five surrounding towns. But now with the internet, I mean, I can listen to preachers that are halfway around the world. I can watch them live uh, and stuff. And so uh, knowing who and what you're looking at is helpful. There are a lot of wolves out there that try to creep into the church. Um, was, there, I, yeah. Okay. I, I wasn't the only one hearing it. Okay. <laughs> But there's, there, there are a lot of wolves that are trying to creep into the church that are not, I mean, the Mormons have done everything they can to get themselves as put in the evangelical circle. And they're not evangelicals. They're, they're not, they don't hold in the faith that the evangelicals do. Yeah. Once they put their name on it, they can copyright it and you can't use it. So if somebody else can't say, oh, we're using the J Joyce Myers yeah. ministry, and but here we're, we're taking this other angle with it. They can't do that. It yeah. protects what they're trying to put out there. Yeah, it, it's, yeah there, there, there are a lot of good reasons to doing that because they'll take you out of context. How many times do we see the news media take a clip and put it in a new context and all that? Well, if you put a name on it and copyright it, as he said... Uh, that becomes much more difficult, and you've got something, a, a legal leg to stand on. The, the legal issues today are, crazy. yeah, they're crazy. Nobody, nobody ever heard, had considered the lawsuit angle. Uh, we actually have insurance that covers us um, theologically, that somebody can't sue us theologically that, oh, you don't, you're, not, you're not conservative enough to be an evangelical. They could sue us, and we have insurance that covers that. Yeah, it, 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 those are all things that happen. And we, we live in a world that is, is yeah, it, it's completely ignorant of God's ways. And they don't care. All right, let's, uh, let's close. As we go, let's remember. Peace, it will come, but not until God's ruling. Therefore, <coughs> we need to embrace his ways. We need to do that. And we need to be worried about the six woes. They're everywhere in our world, and they are wanting to gobble us up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, for your warnings as you were giving them to Israel. Those warnings are still applicable today. Our world has not changed. Father, guide us and lead us. Help us to walk and embrace your ways this week. In your name we pray. Amen.